You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 937 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland. It is Tuesday evening into Wednesday, and today's show is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. Are you happy because you win, or do you win because you're happy? And with 2.6 carbs, 95 calories, it's only worth it if you enjoy it. Stay tuned for the Ultra Player of the Week coming up later in the episode. Today's pod will focus mostly on a very, very frustrating slash Brutal loss for the Hawks at the end of the day here. A 112 to 111 defeat in Cleveland. And if you watched it, you will know exactly what transpired at the end. We'll definitely go through it uh, sort of blow by blow later on in the podcast. But top line thought being that this is a game the Hawks needed to win, even with the injuries, even with John Collins leaving the game at halftime, Cam Reddish being out, all those things. The Hawks were in control, at least to some degree, in the fourth quarter and then just did I execute down the stretch. So uh, plenty of blame to go around, plenty of analysis to happen. I'll try to give you some nuances I always do on the podcast, but a bad loss, full stop for Atlanta, and we'll dive into that momentarily. Before that, though, the All-Star announcement was happening on Tuesday evening. It actually leaked out early from Sham Sarani at The Athletic to actually give up some extra time to talk about it and think about it before the Hawks tipped off in Cleveland. But uh, if you missed the podcast yesterday, by the way, I'd recommend still listening to it with myself and Andrew Kelly. It's about an hour, a fun conversation, uh, lots of nuance, lots of good analysis from Andrew. And part of that discussion uh, near the end was about All-Stars. And a short version, we both said on the podcast that we thought Trey Young should make the All-Star team. I stand by that. At this point, I would have picked Trey. In fact, I did pick Trey in my published picks to make the All-Star team. We did discuss, though, this is a possibility that he was going to get left off the team, and he did not make it on Tuesday evening. Um, This is not everything, by any means, but Young has some of the best stats ever to be left off the the All-Star team. As we discussed yesterday, his numbers are really, really good. The Hawks are much better when he plays. Not an issue in terms of empty numbers, and I think the narrative is pretty silly in some ways about Trey right now. Um, He was not great in this game, obviously, but it's one of those things where he deserved to be an All-Star, I will say, uh, kind of just plainly. Um, it doesn't, I don't think it's like an absolute ridiculous injustice, but I'm on the record. I, sh- I think he should have made it. He still could make it by the way, as injury replacement. Um, the, the actually the stunner, quite frankly, was not Trey. I thought as we, t- as we discussed yesterday, that he actually might not make it. Chris Middleton being left off was a legitimate stunner. Um, I thought he was a lock, quite frankly, he didn't make it. Um, the controversial ones when discussing Trey Young are Zach Levine, Julius Randle, Ben Simmons, and especially Nikola Vucevic. Uh, Vucevic has been really good this season, to be fair, in Orlando, but he's just not as good as these guys, um, especially he's not as good as Trey. So that was the one that really is going to bother people when I think it probably should. He was not someone who I really even considered too heavily for the All-Star game. Um, you know, Levine, we talked about a little, a little bit yesterday. It's a, sort of a one-on-one that's kind of interesting there and nuanced. Randle and Simmons are very different players, but... I will say, I'm not going to do the, uh, I probably could do 10 minutes on this, on this right now. I'm not going to because there's so much to get into for the game. But uh, again, I think I think he should have made it. I think Hawks fans should be bothered by this. And uh, we'll get into that later on, I'm sure, if it comes up in the, in the injury replacement conversation. But I think Trey should have made it. And that's my top line thought on that. Okay, to the game. Because that was, that was the only sort of real piece of news coming into the day here. Um... I did a little bit of a preview on yesterday's podcast as well, so I'm not going to do the, the full pregame rundown, but the Cavs were shorthanded. They lost 10 in a row. Obviously, that makes the loss even worse for Atlanta in this game. They got Rondo back for the first time after seven missed games in a row. That's a small win. Uh, I'm not you know the biggest fan, but obviously you want to have more bodies available. 
Um, Cam Reddish, though, missed this game. He was downgraded to questionable after being listed as probable originally, then downgraded again to doubtful, and they didn't play in this game. It was Tony Snell with the starters. And with, Re- and with Reddish out, the Hawks are missing four of their top six perimeter players from the beginning of the season. So that's a pretty big uh, loss, obviously. Uh, Lloyd Pierce returned in this game as well, as we'll talk about later on from his three-game absence. And the Hawks were eight-point favorites, according to our friends at BattleLine.ag. So Atlanta's supposed to win this game, even on the road. Cleveland is pretty bad, and that tells you a little bit about what transpired in this spot. So, at the top, the Hawks played well out of the gate. John Collins had nine points out of the first 11 for Atlanta. It took an 11-5 lead. Tony Snell had two blocks. Trey had four assists quickly, including a beautiful 70-foot alley-oop to John Collins. And he actually played pretty good defensively, I thought, in the first half, especially Trey did in this game. Um, Capella missed a bunch of bunnies in this game throughout. We'll come back to him later on. But he missed two point-blank shots in the first five minutes or so and a couple more later on. Got a lot of rebounds, though, as he and definitely defended the rim pretty effectively. Uh, foul trouble plagued Collins at times in the first half. He had two within the first six minutes of this game. He came out pretty quickly there, and then later on he had sort of a controversial call that got overturned that we'll come back to. But the Hawks gave up the lead that they took early on. It was actually about uh, tied, through, I would say, midway through. But part of that was they gave up a pretty big run to the Cavs overall. Part of that, I should say, is that the defense – and really, the entire second unit play was really bad. There were moments in the, in the second half, especially from Skylar Mays and Rondo at the very, very end, where the second half was a little bit better. Uh, the second unit, I should say, was a little bit better, but the second unit was really bad, especially in the first half. Um, they went to Rondo with Trey, actually, coming out of the gate, but they went to a Kongwu uh, backup center minutes. Um, it was a 28-8 extended run by Cleveland, including an 8-0 run at one point by the Cavs to take the lead. They had a three at the end of the at the end of the first quarter with Kevin Herter connecting. He actually made three threes in the first quarter. I thought he was pretty bad defensively actually in the first quarter, but he, he did make three threes. Trey Young had seven assists in the first quarter of this game, um, which was helpful. But defensively, it was kind of a mess. And the Hawks were six of sixteen on twos in the first quarter. Um, and then they went with the second uh, and, and the second unit to open the second quarter of this game. And by the way, they did the same thing on Mon- uh, sorry on Sunday against Denver, and it worked. Um, famously, the second unit was really good in that game. In this game, they tried it again, and it was bludgeoned. It was an 11-2 run by the Cavs to open the second quarter. It was really bad in terms of like pretty much everyone. Rondo, Mays, Hill, Gallinari, and Okongwu was that lineup. It was not good. Um, they brought the Stars back pretty quickly after that, after a timeout. Um, and then Collins got his third foul. I will say, originally, I could not believe it was called on Collins. Um, it was a horrid call if it was on Collins, but they quickly overturned that. In fact, Collins came out of the game for like 10 seconds, and then they realized, oh, they didn't actually call it on him, and they put him back in because he had to, you know, that was... But I, I will say this, I think that might have been the play in which he got his concussion, or at least concussion uh, protocol slash evaluation. The Hawks have not said he has, that he has a concussion just yet, but at halftime, they announced that he has a concussion evaluation process and was going to be out for the rest of the game. That might have been the play. They didn't say that, but I thought that might have been when he actually suffered that issue. Regardless, though, the Hawks started out pretty slowly overall, and the Cavs were pretty hot, um, which is worth pointing out. Obviously, at the end, we'll get into all the nuance of what transpired, but the Cavs shot as good as they can possibly shoot in this game. They're 15 of 28 from three, and that's 54%. And this is a team, the Cavs, who are dead last in the NBA in both offensive rating and three-point shooting. So there's a little bit of noise in there. At the same time, the Hawks were bad defensively, like flat out bad. They allowed too many open shots. The big culprit was was Dylan Windler, who, who was five of five. He's their best shooter, so giving him open shots is not a good idea. Um, he's obviously going to miss 
sometimes, but he didn't in this game. Regardless, though, it was definitely a mixture, and the Cavs were hot in the early going, um, and that's worth pointing out as well. The Hawks did rebound from there. They got extra trail by as many as 13 in the first half, but got all the way back down, um, cut it, actually had a chance to tie the game at the last possession of the first half. Tony Snell missed a, a pretty open three that would have tied it. Still only down three, though, after trail by 13. They were in pretty good shape there, despite the Cavs shooting the ball very, very well. By the way, Cleveland hit nine threes in the first half. They averaged nine threes per game. Actually, actually 9.13 threes per game for the season. So, worth pointing out there. Uh, Gallinari was minus 16 at the half. And he earned that, quite honestly. Uh, we'll come back to him later. But uh, it was not a fourth quarter only problem for Gallinari. He was very bad in this game. And the bench got really killed, as, as I said before. The offense was actually fine in the first half for the Hawks. They scored about 1.2 points per possession, which is just fine. Uh, but it ended up not being quite enough to put some distance away. And uh, that bit them later on in the game. Uh, before we dive into the second half, and much, much more in terms of takeaways and analysis, I were from our friends at Bill Bar. I've been telling you for a long time that Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever, and that is still very much the case, but also the new and improved Built Bar is even more delicious. The original flavors are fantastic and they continue to be so, but now there are 18 amazing flavors to choose from, including new selections like caramel brownie, lemon almond cheesecake, and, a, and of course my personal favorite in cookies and cream. Each bar is covered in 100% chocolate, and they're all soft and easy to chew, which is also very important to point out. And from there, I should remind you that Built Bar is also fantastic. For those of us trying to be health conscious, you can maintain or even lose weight weight while still enjoying something that's absolutely delicious. Bars are low calorie, high protein, low sugar, and high fiber. And Built Bar is even great if you're on the keto diet with all the nutrients you need. And again, a taste that puts other competitors in the space to absolute shame. In order to check it all out, BuiltBar.com is the place to go. Yes, it's BuiltBar.com right now and use the promo code LOCKEDON when you get there. When you visit BuiltBar.com and use that promo code, you'll get 20% off your next order with Built Bar. One more time, that is BuiltBar.com, promo code LOCKEDON for 20% off your next order. Check it all out at BuiltBar.com and try Built Bar today. Okay, and the second half was not as fun in a lot of ways, although it started out pretty well in a lot of ways for the Hawks. But the immediate mystery coming out of the halftime break was where John Collins was, so the Hawks didn't announce anything. It was Gallinari starting the second half to four, and that obviously was not a normal thing. Um, we didn't know what it was going to be, and it, in fact, it took a few minutes to find out what was going on with Collins, even from PR, who was on the scene in Cleveland. They finally announced, though, that Collins was going to be out for the rest of the game as a result of a precautionary decision to keep him out for the concussion evaluation. Nothing official again, but I think it might have been the elbow on the play that he was called on that third foul that actually was a sort of a phantom foul. Regardless, though, that's a huge loss. I mean, it's worth pointing out that the Hawks probably won this game with John Collins available because of how bad Gallinari was, etc. And in the second half, they only had nine guys available because they had played ten in the first half. They chose not to go any deeper into the bench, so they played nine guys, and Collins... Um, is always valuable, but particularly right now when the Hawks are missing so many pieces, being out un- being out another one is tough. So that was a big part. I'm not going to say that they should have. I will say this now. They should have won this game anyway. Full stop. So I'm, that's not an excuse. But uh, certainly they should have, uh, you know, it would have been nice to have John Collins in the second half. Um, some missed free throws along the way. A couple of nice threes, though, from Tony Snell and Kevin Herter. And then Herter gets a layup to give the Hawks a 68-64 lead. The Hawks scored 21 points in the first six minutes of the third quarter, and they hit four threes in that run. They did kind of bottom out, though, offensively, once the starters left the game. Um, some pretty rough minutes from a Kongwu early on in the rotation in the third quarter. He was not good. He, he actually got a pretty brutally, I would say, bad call on, on, on offensive foul. But other than that, he earned his poor play um, in this spot. Young got clothesline at one point, 
and it was not called, and then he had to take a foul, and the Cavs hit a three to tie it. That was a bad sequence that um, was unfortunate because I think Trey obviously got, val- got fouled and got hit in the face. Um, there was also a horrifying play by Rondo in which he had a wide-open layup late in the third quarter and turned it over trying to whip a pass to Solomon Hill, who was cutting for no apparent reason. And then the Cavs did a three to tie the game. Sorry, a circus layup, I should say, to tie the game after three quarters. They still won the quarter, though, the Hawks did. But to only to not be winning at the end of the third was pretty brutal. Um, after, they, after the way they had played, the bench gave a lot of that back up late in the third. In the fourth, a lot of it was good until the final minutes. Uh, Skylar Mays, who had struggled in his first stint, played very well early in the fourth quarter. He had a catch-and-shoot three, had a steal and a layup to give the, give the Hawks a lead back. Rondo had some bad defensive possessions, but he actually, even he had uh, two consecutive blow-by layups, which were nice to kind of juice the offense with about eight minutes to go. The Hawks led 99 to 92 with about, you know, eight, nine minutes left. Gave up another three, called timeout up, up four, and then came out of the timeout with Young back on the floor after a pretty decent rest. He had a three point play right out, right out of the gate, so they go back up, up by seven again. They allowed Windler to get loose once again from a three point range for the, for the Cavs. But, you know, back and forth, back and forth. Tony Snell hits a three with about five minutes to go to go up 107 to 101. The rest of the game was an extended 11-4 run by Cleveland. Um, sorry, no. Um, yeah, 11-4. Um, that was interesting because the Hawks, from that point forward, scored four points in five minutes. And now, that's, some of that's explainable to, like, you know, ebbs and flows, but offensively, you got to be better than that. And we'll go through the play-by-play in a second. But yeah, you're up six. In fact, I know that I checked this, actually. The Hawks were like a minus 600 favorite in that timeout, um, and they should have been. You're up six against a pretty bad team. Cavs call timeout. Um, I said during that timeout that I would have closed with Solomon Hill at the four, and the Hawks basically did that for the most part until the very end, which we'll come back to momentarily. Um, so, early in that run, when the Hawks stalled out offensively, Capella missed a pretty easy lob, like bunny finish with four minutes to go that hurt, and then the Cavs scored on the other end of the floor. A nice left-hand drive from Trey, though, to finish a- after that. Back and forth, back and forth. C- Young Young got fouled with, th- uh, sorry, Capella got fouled with three minutes to go and missed both. So within like a minute and 15 seconds, Capella missed a layup and missed two free throws. Circle that, because that was a big one. Um, it was not, That was not the only thing, but those were sort of forgotten at this point in time, but Capella missed a bunch of bunnies in this game. Um, later, I will say, um, they gave up a three to Colin Sexton with 2.30 to go to cut the lead to two. But then Young found Capella for a lob dunk to put the Hawks up 111-107. That was their final bucket of the game. Then there was a controversial play, and basically every play from this point forward was controversial. So Solomon Hill gets called for a block with 151 to go. Lloyd Pierce challenges it and loses. It was a high leverage play, but I, I hated that challenge. You know, I've I've consistently said Lloyd's not very good at challenges this year. Um, this is another one that I didn't like. And even after the game... Um, both both Hill and Pierce were basically saying that, that, that they thought it was still a charge. Um, honestly, a lot of the times when the challenges have happened this year, I thought that they've been bad challenges, but but the actual wrong call was made. I think it was I think it was a block. Uh, and even beyond that, even if you thought it was a charge, it wasn't going to be enough to overturn it. You know, using a timeout to challenge there, the challenge itself is not too bad. But the timeout came back to bite them a little bit later in this game. At any rate, they lost that challenge. That gave uh, actually they got a bre- they got a break because Garland split the free throws, so it was only one eleven one oh eight. You're still up by three at that point in time. Then Trey takes a pretty bad thirty foot three that he misses. 
Um, you know, after it wasn't early shot clock, it was like seven seconds ago on the shot clock, something like that. And then Colin Sexton scores, and suddenly it's a one point game. So you go up, you go from up four when the block is called to up one in just a few possessions. Then Trey misses a floater, gets the offensive rebound to his credit, but it was a broken possession. He had to try this like funky, weird scoop shot to beat the shot clock that he misses well. And then they're in some trouble. Obviously, you're only up, only up by one. But then you feel like, and this is something Bob Rappin said on the podcast. Uh, sorry, on the podcast, on the broadcast. Um, it felt like when Kevin Herter got a steal, which he did on the next possession, that the Hawks were gonna be in great shape. You get a steal there. You're up one. Now you have the ball. Um, and less than a minute to go. But then they almost turn it over. Trey Young nearly throws it over by, by stepping out of bounds on the right sideline. In fact, I thought it was a t- live watching it. I thought they were gonna call it a turnover because they were, you know, the bench was going crazy for Cleveland. They gave him a timeout though. That was Atlanta's final timeout. So at 1-11-1-10, still after all that, you burn your final timeout with 19 seconds to go. Still, they, I mean, it was better than turning the ball over, but still they don't have a timeout anymore in conjunction with the challenge. So two timeouts burned in about a minute and a half. And then out of the timeout, they get a pretty decent look again with 19 seconds left. Um, they come out of the timeout with the ball. Trey gets a float over Jared Allen. It goes in and out and doesn't fall. He went a little bit too quickly for my liking, to be honest with you. It was a six-second delay in terms of the shot clock versus the game clock. A lot of fans were confused on this one and thought that Hawks could just run it down, and they and they couldn't. They had to shoot it, and it wasn't like two seconds. It was a six-second delay, um, or I guess difference between those two, shot clock and game clock. So Trey had to shoot. He had to go at some point. He went a little bit earlier than I would have liked, but it was a good look. I mean, it, and that's one he makes a lot. Uh, he just didn't make it in that spot. Then, the play of the game, honestly. So defensively, the Hawks are now up by one, and they're in scramble mode. Um, and basically, if you saw the play, I'm sure you have if you watch this game. At this point, if not, the, re- the replay is readily available for you to watch, I'm sure. Even national folks are waiting on this one. In transition, they try to trap. Solomon Hill you know, got some blame, actually took some blame, I, I would say to his credit, uh, owned it in the postgame. I don't think it was necessarily he was the biggest culprit, but he started it by kind of flying way up on the court for a trap and didn't really get there. And then on the left side, Trey Young kind of did like a matador routine on Lamar Stevens, who isn't a huge threat, but obviously is an NBA player. He can get downhill. Uh, Trey was asked about this after the game and he got, he's right to say this. They had a guy in the left corner to where he kind of just kind of jabbed at Stevens and didn't want to leave the guy in the corner. I get that, but you're up one. If they were up two, I would have understood it a little bit more to give him the lane, but they're up one at that point. So a layup beats you just as much as a three does. Um, And, you know, Trey doesn't really make a play there. And then I think the worst offender on that play was Danilo Gallinari on the backside. So again, (laughs) you're, you're up, you're up one, not two and not three, especially Gallo on the left block just doesn't even move, frankly. Uh, he's just cemented there, and Stevens gets a dunk that was, you know, if you watch that play a hundred times, it just looks ridiculous knowing that knowing the time and score. It would have been a bad breakdown at any point in the game, but time and score-wise, to give up a pretty wide-open, uncontested dunk to lose there is kind of unthinkable. And, you know, it was a transition possession. Yes, they were kind of scrambling, but everyone, not everyone, three or four of the guys on the floor messed up defensively in that spot. Again, I think the worst culprit, this is me interpreting and asking people that I think are smarter than I am about this. I think Gallinari was the problem on that play, but there were several problems. I think, you know, Solomon Hill to start with, Trey not getting a uh, even a contest or even like a jab step over to stop Lamar Stevens, and then Gallinari feet planted for no reason. So, that happens. They have a chance still, but no timeouts, to get the ball in and go up and score. 
um, Trey doesn't. I guess I guess lost track of the time of the time and tried to throw a pass with like 0.8 to go, uh, and by by the time I got to Tony Snell, the buzzer was going off and he shot it and missed it, but it wasn't even it wasn't even close to being off. Like Trey had to shoot. I'm not saying it was going to go in, but um, you know just timing wise, that was probably my least concern. I saw some people like piling on Trey for that one. You know it's a it's bad to not get a shot off there. I will I will say that, and especially when you're Trey Young and you're capable of shooting a 35 footer. But it was going to be a 35 footer, and if he made it, he made it. But uh, it didn't get a shot off, and that was the end of that. So, a couple things before I play some audio for you and talk about some analysis points. Um, I said this before, but starting with about the four-minute mark, Capella misses a bunny and two free throws. And, again, the Hawks scored four points in the last five minutes. You're going to lose in a close game if you score four points in five minutes a lot. So that's that's bad. Um, Trey was 0-4 in the last 94 seconds. That's tough, and a lot of those are pretty good looks. The you know the thirty footer was not my favorite shot, but you know a couple of those were floaters that he's capable of making, and the and the one the fourth one that I mentioned briefly was like this weird flip shot, was a shot clock beating shot, and the Hawks just didn't run a lot in terms of like you know sometimes and this is kind of ironic these days because for the longest time when the Hawks didn't have a superstar everyone seemed to want the Hawks to just run ISO that teams run at the end of games. And now when they do that, they get yelled at for doing that. So I'm not sure which one it is. But, you know, I think percentage-wise, Trey Young is going to make at least one of those four shots a very, very high percentage of the time. And he didn't make one in this spot. He was 0-4, plus the last shot, which he didn't even get off. So those are some interesting stats. Now, a couple of things to focus on here at the end of the game, and we'll go through them now. Um, One is that, with that timeout, when Trey was caught on the on the baseline, I had a call timeout, timeout with 90 seconds to go, they came out of that possession, again, they're up by one, and they put in Gallinari for Capella. That was a decision that I did not like, um, even in the, in the moment. And then, of course, that was something that people focused on a lot after the game, and I totally understand why, because it was one that I didn't like. I'm going to play you the audio for you now of uh, Lloyd Pierce being asked about that uh, decision, and then we'll get into the final play. But here is Lloyd. I think I believe you'll hear the voice of Chris Kirscher at the Athletic here asking uh, why he went to Gallinari in that spot instead of Capella. Uh, what went into your decision to sub Gallo in with uh, 19 seconds? Left? Just down or up one at the end, knowing that uh, you know if they trap Trey, we were going to have a free throw shooter that can get the basketball in. We were fearful of them fouling Clint uh, on an offensive possession with, with under 10 seconds to go. And uh, if he's in the screen or if he's involved in the catch, just needing someone else to to be on the floor to really secure the basketball. He's a guy that was secure, but I'm sure that would have went to a foul right away. Okay, so two things to unpack here. Um, one is that it wouldn't matter what Pierce said. It's not going to be over well, which I will definitely grant. I didn't like this decision, as I just said before I played the audio for you. Um, if they had had Collins in this spot and had gone to Collins at center instead of Capella for the same reasoning or a similar reason that Lloyd just talked about with you know not wanting Clint out there on offense, uh, foul shooting, all that, I would have understood it more. In fact, you know Clint I think was a pretty significant negative offensively in this game um, because of his you know he missed a lot of shots around the rim. He's obviously a bad free throw shooter, all that stuff. So on paper that kind of makes some sense. Um, Still, you're, you're winning. That's important to point out. And I think up one is not like a safe lead there, but you are winning. And knowing you don't have a timeout, they're going to have a chance to run that down your throat. And on defense, even if you had a timeout, this is something that also want to point out, 
if you had a timeout there, you couldn't have used it at any point. Um, if once you miss a shot on offense, you can't call timeout on defense. Like that's not a thing that happens. So I saw a lot of people like panicking about the lack of timeout late. I, I get, I get that it would have been nice to have one for other, you know, other purposes. But for, in that particular situation, you couldn't call timeout defensively, and the lack of organization. Um, certainly, there's some preparation and stuff involved there. But at, you know, after a miss in scramble mode, it's on the players to get organized and get ready to go there. So all that said. I could not have put Gallinari back in the game there. Gallinari was so bad in this game. We'll talk about later on, um, defensively in particular. And you know, I, I get that offensively on paper he's a better option there. He didn't have it going in this game, and you're only up one. So unless you hit a three up, unless you hit a three there up one to put the game away, you know you're only up three, and you don't want Gallinari on the floor defensively. So even if they had gone, this is kind of this is going to sound hilarious. Even if they had gone to, you know five perimeter guys, if they had gone to Solomon Hill at center there, basically, it would have been better than going to Gallinari, if that makes sense. Like, I know they didn't really have another wing. If they had gone to Rondo, which I wouldn't have liked, if they had gone to Skylar Mays, like, part of this is that they didn't have another another, another body, and I get that, but if the reason was, like, we, we just don't want Capella out there, <sighs> I get it, but I, I don't like it at all in this game. And you guys know that, if you're listening to this podcast, that I'm, I'm not going to be the pile-on-for-no-reason guy, but um, having Capella out, not out there defensively wouldn't have necessarily saved everything, but obviously, in retrospect, if you know you're not going to score that possession, you will certainly like to have Capella on the floor defensively. Now, there's always some Monday, Monday morning quarterbacking going on there, and I totally get it. If they had scored and went up three, it probably wouldn't have burned them, but they didn't score, and Gallinari being, again, just like, in my mind, the biggest culprit on the other than the floor defensively, that is not good. So... Yeah, at the end of the day, that, that's a bad sub. It's a bad decision. Uh, I, I can kind of see the logic on some level, but I don't. I don't like it, and I think that's a decision that he would like back. Hopefully, um, you know, in retrospect. And again, I, I think if it's like prime Gallinari, if it was the guy that th- that, th- that they thought they were going to be getting in the offseason, I would have understood it more. But you got to kind of adjust now and notice that Gallinari was terrible the entire game and can't move defensively. And you know, again, there's always some risk that if you don't score there, it's going to be live and you can't stop him. So I would have either stayed with Ke- I don't mind taking Capella out, but I would have stayed with Capella if the other option was Gallinari. Um, if they had gone small, I would have understood it more. But there you go on that. Okay, last thing on this segment anyway is that um, you know the famed def- defensive breakdown at the end. So now we fast forward back to the possession. This is after Trey misses and. The Cavs are in transition defense. Um, I'm going to play you what Lloyd said about that situation. I don't, I don't have the audio of Solomon Hill, by the way, who took, who, uh, as I said before, took responsibility and took blame for it. I don't think it was his fault, but uh, here's what Lloyd said about the defensive position. Lloyd, was it just a, a lack of organization on defense, or what allowed Stevens to get that open look? Well, it's, yeah, I mean it's in transition, so it, you know there's there's really no organization in transition. You don't have a man in transition. Um, you know, Solo was caught out of position, and you know, randomly ran at the basketball and we're a man down when you do that because it's up the floor and we, we just needed somebody to step in. It's, it's a scramble. It's a scramble drill at that point. Um, you know, it's a breakout. They're down. We had enough guys back, but we didn't get, get organized to communicate. We didn't need to go and trap the basketball up the floor and we needed someone to cover for that mistake at the end. So I think none of that's wrong, honestly. Like, like I said before, I don't put it on Solomon Hill, but I also don't think that he should have been flying up there to try to trap in that spot. 
Um, and there were lots of different breakdowns. So, you know, I think the original sin is having Gallinari out there, but then Gallinari just does nothing. I mean, it's, it's, I don't want I don't mean to belabor that point, but it's, it's maddening to see him kind of stand there and not do anything there. Cause even if you get a close out and either foul Stevens or Stevens kicks out to an open shooter for three, you would rather give up an open three up one. Again, the Hawks are up one, not two, not three, they're up one. The math on that is even this is by the way this is the same thing for Trey Young on the on the right side just not quite as egregious as Gallinari was, but you would rather them shoot an open three, like they might make that shot it'll look bad I get all that but you give up a dunk up one like an open three even for a good shooter they're, they're going to miss that shot half the time or more, in a, a dunk at the rim even for Lamar Stevens who's a rookie who's not like a he's a two way guy he's going to make that shot you know ninety five percent of the time so. The math there is bad. All that, all that is bad. And again, I think the, uh, the the original problem is having Gallinari on the floor. But everyone broke down there basically, so plenty of blame to go around. I will just wrap up this whole this segment by saying, this is a game in which you know, after the game, I saw plenty of takes flying. A lot of them directed at Lloyd. A lot of them directed at Trey. Um, you know, whoever you want to point to, Gallinari especially late. Um, and I think those are all right on some level. I think Trey was pretty bad in this game. I think Lloyd made some decisions that I did not like at the end of this game. And uh, especially, you know, the optics are not good there when you come back from a three-game absence uh, uh, and the team goes 2-1 and one, and then you lose your first game back and you lose like this. I, I'm not I'm not blind to that whatsoever. I totally get why that would be the case. Um, I don't think that, you know, he lost them the game by himself in the way that some fans might think. But like you just, just heard me say, I think he didn't do a good job at the end of this game. I don't think anybody did really do a good job at the end, at the end of this game. So... Plenty to go around. This is a bad loss, and uh, you know, from best player to coach to supporting cast to injuries to all all number of things. There's all kinds of stuff to blame and lots of nuance. And I know people don't love nuance in general, but there was lots of stuff that went wrong for Atlanta, and Cleveland took advantage. So there you go. Uh, before we get to some takeaways and the individual breakdowns from this particular game, it is time to reveal our Michelob Ultra Player of the Week. I know the timing's not great on that. And by the way. As I said last week, I could probably give it to Trey Young each and every week, but I'm going to try not to do that because sometimes you have to highlight other guys and Trey is the best player, to be sure. I talk about Trey a lot on this podcast. So at any rate, today we're going to go with Clint Capella for the Michelob Ultra Player of the Week this week. He was a big factor in a positive direction in really all three games. We'll talk more about Clint's performance, specifically from today's game, later on. But he was plus 17 in 37 minutes tonight, and he continues to be Atlanta's best player defensively. Um, For the week, by the way, he is. Uh, he averaged 19.3 points, and 14.3 rebounds per game, and shot almost 70 percent from the floor in three games. So that's a heck of a performance. Obviously, we talked about Clint yesterday on the podcast as well, but he has been phenomenal for Atlanta uh, in a lot of ways. He's fixed their defense at least to a passable level when he's on the court, and then offensively, he's uh, you know generally pretty good, pretty positive. That was a good move by the Hawks, and uh, you know shouts to Clint Capella for playing at a high level this week. And uh, in fact, it makes people happy when he's when he's out there. And are you happy because you win, or do you win because you're happy? At only 2.6 carbs and 95 calories, it's only worth it if you enjoy it. In the end, joy creates success, and enjoyment isn't the end game; it's the whole game. Michelob Ultra and the Ultra Player of the Week is Clint Capella. All right, before we get to the individual break, breakdowns in this game, some uh, broad takeaways offensively and defensively, as we always do. You know, the offense was not the problem in this game. They scored almost 1.18 points per possession. Uh, granted, that is worse than the Cavs have been doing so far defensively. In that 10-game run, the, Haw- the Cavs have been so bad defensively. But still, in a vacuum, the Hawks scored better than they average and better than any team rightfully would average offensively. So that, that was not the problem in this spot. They missed six free throws, including four for Trey, which is uncharacteristic. Um, and 
even on a night when Trey was one of seven from three, they shot 14 of 31 from three. That was not really a problem. There was a bunch of guys who made open threes in this game. Um, Two-point shots were not very good. They were 26 of 58 on on twos. That is uh, far below what, what you would like on two-point shots, so that's something to circle. And only 22 assists, which isn't like a terrible number, but not, not through the roof. Regardless, though, it landed enough offensively in this game. They won the offensive glass, they won the defensive glass, and uh, you know the peripherals are pretty decent there. On the other end of the floor, though, defensively, it was kind of a mess. Um, as I said before, the three-point shooting was probably the killer for Atlanta. Defensively, the Cavs made 15 threes. They shot 54% from three. That's not tenable. In fact, the Cavs, who, again, were coming into the game, were dead last in the league in three-point shooting and offensive rating. And they come out and shoot 55% from three and uh, score 1.19 points per possession. So those are both bad optically. There's a little noise in there with... Um, the way that Cleveland shot it. But defensively, the Hawks had a lot of breakdowns in this game. So they're not, it's one of those um, subtle things where, yes, Cleveland made more shots than they normally would on the same shot diet, but the Hawks also were not very good defensively. And both things are true in this spot. Um, other than that, you know, the Cavs had 28 assists, but other than, they, didn't, they, didn't, they didn't kill them on the glass. They had 16 turnovers. The Hawks won pretty much every single, like, 1v1 category. They won the glass, they won the turnover battle. They won the free throw attempt battle. They just made less shots from the perimeter in particular. And uh, actually, the two-point shooting was actually favoring Cleveland as well. So it was uh, a shooting win for the Cavs. But at the end of the day, that happened, and uh, we'll go from there. Okay, individually, we'll fly through this a little bit. The As I said before, the bench was relatively terrible. Like, I, I tweeted they were like genuinely horrifying at one point in this game. And from there, it actually was better. Uh, particularly Mays and Rondo made some plays in the second half. We'll start with Mays. He was 2 of 7 from the floor, 1 of 2 from 3. He was better than that, especially in the second half. I thought he was actually genuinely a positive. And that's to, and it's not a coincidence that he was he, he had the best plus minus on the bench. He was minus 5 in 12 minutes. He was pretty pretty shaky in the first half. That's worth pointing out. But I think he earned some more playing time with his performance. Rondo was 3 of 4 from the floor, actually, including a bunch of layups and um, two layups, I should say, and one corner three. He was bad, though. The over-dribbling is a problem. He did have one assist, had two turnovers. He was minus 18. Defensively, he was bad. The over-dribbling is bad. Um, you know, he hasn't played in a while. There's probably some leniency for that, but uh, he was not a plus. He was a significant negative, I thought, in this game. Solomon Hill was the best bench guy, I thought, overall. And ironically, he was minus 23, which is the game worst. But that's not really on him. I think that was him being paired with Gallo a lot of the way. But uh, he made both of his three-point attempts and free-throw attempts. He had three steals. He had two assists, four rebounds. So that's one where I would not attribute the plus-minus to him. I don't think he was fantastic or anything. Like He had some bad moments, including the last play of the game. But I don't think he was too bad. Uh, Akangu was bad. Uh, 0-1 from the floor. Had a, had, did have a steal. But a couple of uh, drop passes, including one turnover. Didn't score. Uh, it was a step back for him. I thought he was much, much better on Sunday. And uh, said as much at the time. But he was pretty shaky in this game. And then Gallinari, I thought, was... Even with even with how bad Rondo was, I think Gallinari was pretty safely their worst player in terms of the overall impact. 107 from the floor. 104 from three. Five points. Uh, had no rebounds, by the way, in 23 minutes. That's really not very good. Uh, one assist. One turnover, two fouls. Uh, defensively, he is the worst defender on the team. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't say that lightly because Trey is not very good, but Gallinari has been their worst defender this season, and that definitely was the case in this game. It wasn't just the last play, but that was a microcosm for how bad he's been this year. Um, you know, again, that doesn't mean that he's going to be terrible forever, but to this point, he has been a significant negative, and that was definitely the case here. He was very, very bad, and it can't be overstated how shaky he was and how much of a negative he was in this game. To the starters... 
much better on the whole. Kevin Herter offensively was quite good in this game. 22 points, four steals actually was the only uh, active thing about him defensively in this game. Four, uh, three assists, sorry, one assist, three rebounds, eight of 14 from the floor, four of eight from three. I think defensively he was kind of bad in this game other than the four assists, but offensively he made a bunch of shots and was a game bust plus 21. So, you know, I would say pros and cons there for Kevin, 37 minutes. I thought he played well, um, except for the individual defense. He kind of had a couple of moments where he just kind of brain farted a few times on the ball defensively. It wasn't too physical, but uh, you meant it for it offensively with the way that he shot it in this game. Tony Snell was also good, 11 points, 5 rebounds, 1 assist, 2 block shots, both in the first quarter, was plus 12, 4 of 7 from the floor, 3 of 5 from from the uh, three-point land. Um, I will say this is <laughs> sort of an off-topic nugget. But Brady Klopfer of SB Nation tweeted this out today, and I went digging for some more. Snell has not attempted a free throw this entire season, which is noteworthy. I know he hasn't played that much, but he's played, he's played the second most minutes in the entire NBA of anyone who's not, who has not attempted a free throw. And the crazy part about the stat, that, that's already a little bit crazy. Last season, Tony Snell didn't miss a free throw. <laughs> Granted, it was only 32 of 32. That's, that's a pretty big amount. He's not missed a free throw since March 12th of 2019. Almost two years ago. So he doesn't take very many. He's not a guy who gets to the line. But a couple of weird, kind of hilariously strange free throw stats for Tony Snow. At any rate, he was good in this game. And I saw some calls for him to start. Well, even with Cam being back. I wouldn't necessarily hate that. I think Tony might be uh, more of a positive if, with the way that Cam's playing offense right now. I would still probably go back to Cam for a little while longer. But um, Snell, is, Snell is solid. He's not going to ever get, like be a dynamic guy. Again, seven shot attempts in 33 minutes, but he shoots open threes, he plays good defense, and does his job. Um, elsewhere, John Collins was good before he got um, knocked out of the game after 13 minutes at the half. 13 points in the first half. He played very well. Hopefully he can be back uh, either Wednesday or in the near future. No update on that after the game that I was aware of, so we will see what happens with John. But obviously the task on Wednesday becomes much, dip- much more difficult if he can't play. That's one to circle as the injury report will come out Wednesday afternoon. And then Capella and Young to finish things up. We'll go to Capella now, as I discussed earlier, when he was Michelob Ultra Player of the Week. Uh, 12 points, 17 rebounds in this game for Clint. The finishing was not good. 6-14 from the floor, that's very bad for him. He missed a bunch of bunnies, uh, kind of those, you know, one-two-foot near-rim shots. Both free throws that he missed in this game. Did have eight offensive rebounds, so a lot of those misses that he actually got to clean up. But I thought he was a general positive. He's plus 17. That's the crazy thing about this, is that the Hawks had guys who were... Herder was plus 21. In 37 minutes, and they lost. Capella was plus 17 in 37 minutes, and they lost. And that is tough, especially against a bad team. So, yeah, it's tells you how bad the bench was, honestly. But Capella, I think that's you know, it's kind of indicative of the season. Like, obviously, most of the attention goes to Trey and his on-off splits, even DeAndre Hunter, or even Collins. But Capella, defensively, they just cannot guard with him, on the, with him off the court right now, and that's worth pointing out. And then finally, Trey Young. So Trey had 28 and 12. That's obviously impressive on a number of levels. He had 12 assists, 7 rebounds as well, by the way. Um, was plus 7. Um, he was not efficient, though, in this game. 28 points is a lot, but he actually had 34? Yeah, 34 shooting possessions. So he was well below average efficiency in this game. 9 of 27 from the floor, 1 of 7 from 3. Um, did get to the line 13 times, but actually missed 4 of them, which is not characteristic of him. So it was not his best, even, that kind of sounds crazy to say, on a night where he had 28, 28, 12, and 7, but it really wasn't, he really wasn't good offensively. Um, defensively, it was actually a little bit feisty, I thought, um, pretty decent. So, he'll have nights like this, um, the timing of it speaks to what we talked about yesterday with Andrew, to wrap things up, um, sort of bring things full circle, is that Trey Young's win-loss splits are enormous still this season, and this is another example where, when he's really good, 
they win. When he's really not very good, they don't win. And they still show they show win this game anyway, by the way. But um, you know, he missed four shots in the last 90 seconds. You know, they were all pretty decent looks except for the one long range three, I thought. But even that shot's the one that he can make. So at the end of the day, this is a loss that is maddening for Hawks fans. I am very confident. This will probably be the longest solo podcast I do for a while. But um, lots of things to get into. Lots of negatives, some positives. But uh, I guess fortunately for the Hawks, they'll have a quick turnaround on Wednesday. Um, they're playing Boston, who lost at the buzzer to the Mavericks tonight. That's interesting and in that both teams are struggling right now. This is the third matchup between the Hawks and the Celtics in eight days. So they are very familiar with each other as well. And uh, both on the back-to-back, it'll be in Atlanta on Wednesday evening. And the Hawks need to get that one if they can possibly muster it. And we'll see how they play. Um, you know, We'll see about Collins. We'll see about Reddish. If they're missing both those guys, it's a tall ask. I, I know we talked about injuries a lot, and I'll get out of here momentarily, but... If the Hawks, and this is again a big if, we do not know anything right now about this about this at this moment in time. But if the Hawks are missing Reddish and Collins on Wednesday, they will be essentially without four of their top seven players coming into the season, um, plus Chris Dunn. So like, you know, it's tough. That's all I'll say. It's tough. The Hawks have a lot of injuries right now. And, it, and Collins is another, that's probably the, obviously the biggest one other than Hunter and Bogdanovich, but a big one looming. And Collins is a great matchup against Boston. He usually does very well against Boston. So one to circle there. At any rate, uh, no preview of that game because we don't have any information on it just yet because both teams play tonight. But I will have a new podcast after that game is over on Wednesday evening into Thursday. Please subscribe to the podcast. Please check out the show on Twitter at Locked on Hawks. You can follow me if you'd like to at BT Roland. Subscribe, rate, review. Thank you for listening all the way to the end. If you've made it this far on this maddening podcast, I appreciate your patronage. And we'll see you all after the game on Wednesday evening.